one thing you might not know about me is I'm not much of a gamer. So some of you guys are like more of the gamer types. It's just not my thing. Um, I played like Wii growing up. That was like about it. That was the extent of my video game playing ability. But I live with a couple guys, um, uh, roommates from the Bridge College Ministry who are into video games. And sometimes I come home and they'll be playing like different games on the TV. And there's been one game that they've been playing um, fairly often, or at least they did for a period. And it was a game called Fall Guys. Um, uh, some of you guys familiar with the game Fall Guys? The girls are like, no idea. All right, if you're not familiar with this game, um, basically you join this competition with a 60 other like real people that meet on this network and you're competing in like four or five different challenges um, where it slowly weeds out people. So it's like the first challenge, it's like the first like 45 people to like complete it, move on, and then down to 30, then 15, then 10, and then there's like one person left at the end, and it's like, then you can be like, oh, I'm the best because I like made it to the very end. Um, and I'm seeing this game, and I'm not much of a video gamer, so usually I do not partake in these things um, because I do not want to look foolish um, like a noob. Um, but... I was watching them play this game, and if you've played Fall Guys before, you know it's not the most like advanced, at least like like control-wise sort of game. And so it's like only a couple buttons you need to press. Um, it's fairly elementary. And so I'm watching them play it a couple times, and you know it's Noah and Michael, um, my my roommates. They're making it pretty far. They're making it past a couple rounds, and no one's like been the ultimate champion. But it seems like okay, like, I haven't played video games very much, but it looks pretty easy. Give me, a, give me a round. And they're like, no way. Like, you never play video games. Like, yeah, here, I'm going to show you guys up right now. I'm like going to try the first time and I'm going to make it to the very end. Take that, Noah. Um, <laughs> and so what I do is I take the controller and I play the game. And the first time I make it to the very end and I win the entire game. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> I, I didn't even make it out of the first round. Um, <laughs> so I was going from 60 to like 45. And I was like, couldn't even be one of the fastest 45 people on like a simple round that they were all like trying to encourage me on. I was like, ah, no, I can't do it. So I give it back to them and they are doing it pretty well. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try it again. Like there's no way I don't make it out of the first round this other time. So I, I play it. And once again, I do not make it out of the first round. At this point, I'm like really feeling, feeling sad about myself. And I'm like, oh, Nathan, you are a failure at life. No. Um, just like when it comes to playing video games, like you should have never thought that you could do this. This is awful. And so I give it back to them and they do this again. They keep beating all the rounds and I'm like, how is it that easy? And I cannot figure this out. And so I'm really having trouble with this. And it takes basically a round where I'm like, okay, I'm going to try this again for the third time and I'm going to do it. And then my controller dies in the middle of it. <laughs> Where it was like, you're doing so well. And then Michael turns off the controller and turns on a different controller and then basically like wins the level for me and right at the very end like gives the remote back for me so that I feel like I did well. So I actually, oh yeah, there you go. I made it out of the first round. But I was having difficulty and a challenge when it came to this video game and I needed a lot of help in that area and how to uh, face the challenge of this video game. Well, 
What James is teaching us here in James chapter 1 is how to face the real challenges that we face in life. And I know that the challenge of a video game is far less than the real things that we face in, uh, that you guys face in junior high. And as you go beyond that, that a video game is a very small challenge in that sense. But James helps us with how to face these difficult challenges, how to face the things that we're going to endure in life and how to do it well. That's what James 1 has been all about, how to face the trials and the tests of life and how to excel at it. And the verse that we're going to look at today, just one verse, James 1.12, shows us how we can ace it, how we can nail it, how we can hit it out of the park and excellently endure these difficult times. Let's look at James 1.12 to see how we can learn from it. James 1.12 says, Blessed, the idea of happy, is the man who remains steadfast under trial. So, okay, what does it look like to, to do well in difficulty? So, Trials, those are the difficulties that we face in life. It says, happy is the one who remains steadfast. This idea of endurance, the idea of standing one's ground. I like to think of it as, say, like you're at the ocean, and you're standing there in the water, and these waves are coming. And because you don't want to get tossed around by the waves, you're kind of like dig your feet into the sand a little bit, and you like get into this stance kind of like this, so when the wave comes, you don't just like go like all over the place. It's like you're kind of standing your ground. Well, that's the idea here of the person who, when a difficult time comes, guess what? They don't just become distraught. They don't just get frustrated or angry or ruined or just do what God doesn't want them to do, which is often how we deal with difficulties. We get frustrated, angry, saddened, um, anxious, all these things that come alongside. It's like, no, rather we should remain steadfast, endure those trials, go through them. Well, why should I do that? It says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There it says, those who love him, which is the one who remains steadfast under trial, you should do that because guess what? God has promised that if you endure through those difficulties and those trials, you receive the crown of life. There's a prize on the line that's guaranteed by God. And we should be able to learn to handle difficulties and these challenges that we face well because, hey, guess what? God's going to reward us if we, if we do it well. God's going to, there's a prize, an incentive that there is on the line if we learn how to handle difficulty well. And I know that it's not always easy to handle hard times. It can be a challenge. And when we face those hard times, oftentimes we want to, like I said earlier, be angry in a sinful sense. Be anxious, something that God isn't pleased with. Be saddened, be downcast. But we need to stay obedient to God even when difficulties come. Point number one, we need to learn to obey God when it's difficult. When it's difficult. Those challenges that we face, those trials, those tests. A trial is any difficulty in our life that challenges, hey, am I going to remain obedient to God or am I going to disobey him? Am I going to stay faithful to God or am I going to disobey him? Where am I going to fall in this? Uh, a trial, this hard thing that comes into our lives, oh man, should, in this situation, should I really obey God or should I not? And by remaining steadfast is, okay, I'm not going to disobey God. I'm not going to sin against God, even if there's situations in my life where I feel like I want to disobey God. 
I feel like I want to do something that's wrong, that's not right. I know I had a situation where it was hard for me to obey God, and it was difficult, um, and that was a situation when I was on a plane. And on the plane, there was a couple seats ahead of me on the right was a a mom with a baby. Um, A couple of you guys are a few steps ahead of me, and you know that babies are just quiet always. Um, (laughs) And that's exactly what happened on the plane. No, the baby was crying. Um, And it seemed like the entire duration of the, of the plane ride. It was like, and you're just like, all right, like, come on. Like, I'm trying to sleep. Like, okay. Like I even like had headphones in and I could like still hear, like, I don't have the nice, like complete noise canceling headphones. Like, like some of you, it's like, I've just got like normal headphones. They're like partially, but it's like, you can still hear this crying over and over. And like, whenever the baby would stop crying, um, and you thought like, okay, yeah, whew, all right, it's done. It's like, oh my. Some of you guys that like have um, younger siblings or like remember when you did have ones over that age, it's like, yeah, they just will not stop crying. And in that moment, I am tempted to say, hey, I'm going to complain about this. I'm going to say, oh, this is awful, like, ah, grumbling, complaining about this baby that's on the plane. I know it's a very small difficulty is, oh, like being on a plane with a baby for a couple hours. It's like, really, Nathan, that's the difficulty? Think about it. Something so small is challenging, was challenging for me to remain obedient to God by not complaining. Now, what about when harder challenges face our lives? That's going to be a real challenge for us to say, oh, I'm going to stay obedient to God. It's like kids at school that make fun of you for being a Christian, going to church, believing in God. You might be tempted. That's a form of attest persecution. So people making fun of you. I know it's a, like a category of persecution is mockery. Um, is, okay, am I going to keep telling other people about God? Am I going to keep telling my friends uh, that I go to church? Am I going to keep telling them about Jesus? Or am I going to stop doing that because they're going to keep mocking me? That's a real thing that you might be going through or you will go through in the future. Of, uh, maybe I should stop doing that. Well, am I going to continue to obey God by telling other people about him, telling and inviting people to church? Or am I going to stop obeying God and his command to, to evangelize, share the gospel, because it's difficult. There's mocking that comes. Well, what about you've got family problems and, and conflict, and you've got that, whether it's a dif- disagreement, your parents are fighting, and that hurts you, or you have a conflict with your siblings, and man, you're just frustrated and angry, and so you go into your room, and you're just angry, and you're like, oh, I'm just in a bad mood the rest of the day, and so I'm not going to read my Bible today, and oh, maybe, maybe not tomorrow, because I'm just angry. It's like, yeah, that's a difficulty, conflict, but are you using that as an excuse to disobey God? Say, oh, God's going to be fine with me not reading his Bible because I'm just really angry right now. It's like, I don't think he's going to give us a free pass for that. You should obey God even when it's challenging, even when it's difficult. What if you're sick? Oh, I don't feel good physically, and so I'm just going to uh, not pray to God today. I'm not going to read the Bible today. Like, I was convicted this week because, like, half of this week, I was not feeling good at all. 
And as I'm prepping this sermon, it's like, oh man, I don't really feel like prepping a sermon to preach to the junior hires this weekend. It's like, well, am I going to remain faithful to God to do what I should want to do, even if, man, I don't feel like doing it right now? I was even convicting to me this weekend, or this week, like, man, I, I better practice what I'm preaching. Maybe you're someone who experiences the difficulty of maybe loneliness. Maybe you come in here to the narrow and you don't have that many friends, or you kind of feel outcasted. Well, are you going to use that to say, okay, man, I don't have that many friends, so what am I going to do? I'm just going to stand in the corner and I'm not going to try to make any friends. Well, you should push yourself to get to know other people, to, to meet other people, not use that difficulty of saying, I don't have any friends, because I know that is a challenge, that is a difficulty, but are you going to use that as also an excuse to say, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to put any effort myself. Maybe you're having a hard time at school. And, oh, I'm just not really good at tests. I'm, I'm not that smart in X class or subject. So I'm not really going to work hard because it's not going to do any good anyways. See, there's all these difficulties that we face, and I'm sure that you can connect to um, some of those, if not many of those, in, in different ways, and how quick we are to disobey God when those difficulties come. And even the ways that I haven't even mentioned. It's like, how quick are we to say, oh, I'm, I'm not going to obey God right now because there's this challenge in my life? It's not only when times are difficult. I want to make a quick aside that sometimes we'll disobey God when times are easy. So, like, maybe you, you don't have any conflict at, at home or you have good grades and everyone's getting along and you've got a bunch of friends. And so that easiness of life makes you think, oh man, I don't really need God because I've kind of got everything figured out. So I don't need to pray to him. I don't need to read his word because like life is going pretty smooth right now. That's almost like the, the prideful person, the prideful rich Christian last week trusting in his riches. Oh man, my, my wealth is so great. Like I, I'm, I got a lot of money. I'm doing pretty fine. I, I don't really need to rely on God. Sometimes even easiness of life can cause us to disobey God, not in the sense of like, oh, I don't feel like it, but kind of in a sense of I don't feel like it because, man, it doesn't seem like I need any help right now. We need to obey God when it's easy, when it's difficult, any time, any season, any difficulty that we face, because God is pleased by, God is pleased by faithful obedience even when it's hard. Like, let's think through some examples of that. Noah. God told Noah to build a boat. Because what? He was going to flood the world, wipe out humanity. Now, was that like easy for Noah to do? It's like, well, I mean, building a boat's like pretty hard. Um, not just like these TikTokers like building boats to float on their pools, but like, like a real actual boat that can survive like storms and stuff like that. It's like, uh, it's pretty challenging. Well, how about also when everyone else is saying, hey, Noah, you're really? Like, what? why are you building this boat? Like, are you kidding me? Mocking him, making fun of Like, really, Noah? Noah could just been like, oh, okay, everyone's making fun of me. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't make this boat. He was like, no, I'm going to remain obedient and faithful to God, even if, it's, even if people are making fun of me. Think about Abraham. Abraham. God told Abraham, hey, I want you to take your one only son and sacrifice him on an altar. What? 
Talk about like real difficulty right there. Like sacrifice your own son. Yeah, I know you're really old and like you hadn't had a kid in, I mean, about a hundred years, like you're a hundred years old, like you're really old and like you've been wanting a kid for a long time and now you've got your kid and now I want you to, to, to end his life. Like how easy would it have been for Abraham to just be like, yeah, God, that's too hard. I'm not going to obey. But he was willing to say, hey, if God wants me to do it, that's what I'm going to do. And obviously God stops Abraham before he kills his son, but it was the willingness of him to, to say, hey, I'm going to obey God fully even if it's hard. Take Job, for example. Had his kids killed. Had his stuff taken away from him. His own wife, when seeing how tough of a situation Job was in, told Job, hey, Job, this is what you should do. You should curse God and die. Job, yeah, just curse God. Your, your life's ruined. Curse him and die. Give up. And Job wasn't perfect in this, but Job didn't forsake God. Yeah, he had some questions. Uh, there's times when he's like, man, I, I don't know what the purpose of all this is that I'm going through. He had to wrestle with those questions, but there wasn't a time when he said, oh, God, I'm forgetting you altogether. Can we learn from their examples if they remained obedient to God even when it was hard, even when it was difficult? Because God is pleased by that. God's pleased by that if you're a Christian. Say, hey, if you're right with God, he's happy when you go through hard times and you handle them well. But maybe you're not a Christian and you're like, well, God must not care if I handle difficulties well. No, God's also pleased when a non-Christian obeys him even when it's difficult. It's in a different sense of pleasure when it comes to a Christian, but God is also seeking for us to, even if you're not right with God, to keep his moral law, to follow it. Like in Ephesians where it says, children obey your parents in the Lord. God doesn't say, hey, Christian children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a general command given to all children. So whether you're a believer or non-believer, you're expected by God to obey your parents. It's like, well, that's not a distinction between believer and non-believer. So everyone in this room, no matter if you say, yeah, I follow Jesus or I don't, you're expected by God to obey your parents. And if you do, in a, in a sense, he, he's pleased by that. Say, hey, that's a good thing. If you're an unbeliever and you obey God, you don't sin even when there's challenges that you face. God, God is pleased by that to some extent. He's, he's like, that's a good thing. He'd much rather you read the Bible, pray, than rob a bank. Is that pretty obvious? <laughs> God would rather you have you do one thing than the other. And then sometimes we like to think, oh, well, a non-Christian can't do anything. That's like, good. It's like, okay, in a small sense, God is pleased by that. So don't discard this if you're like, I'm not a Christian, so this doesn't apply to me. No, obey God even when it is difficult as well, even when you don't feel like it. I know I give this illustration a lot about how athletes, um, about athletes and correlate that, but I think this fits really well. Athletes do things that are difficult even when they don't feel like it. It's like, oh, I mean, how often does a professional athlete probably wake up in the morning at like 4 or 5 a.m.? And say, ah, oh, you know what, I want to I sleep like another hour or another 30 minutes. It's like, I'm sure that happens all the time. I'm not a professional athlete, but I guess we, 
I don't know if anyone knows one, ask them, but I'm sure it's pretty often. Or when they wake up, it's like, oh, do you feel like running like five miles right now? It's like, eh. I mean, I'm sure some days they wake up and they're just like, let's go, like five miles, like, yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, let's go pump, pump out some iron, let's lift some weights. But like sometimes they wake up and you're like, oh man, I don't feel like doing like exercises and things like that. It's like they don't feel like it, but they keep doing it. Like one of the things that I'm sure they definitely don't feel like doing all the time is eating like healthy food, like broccoli. Well, it's like, who wants to do that? Like I never feel like eating broccoli, but sometimes I'll do it because um, I guess it's been a while. But uh, <laughs> every now and then I'll do it when I'm at someone's house because I want to be courteous and eat the broccoli. Um, but it's like, yeah, they, you think they always feel like eating those like kale shakes and smoothie? It's like, because kale's supposed to be like really healthy. For, it's like, no, what I would rather feel like drinking is like a Baja Blast from Taco Bell. It's like, let's go. Like, give me, give me some good food from Taco Bell. Um, there you go. That's another fun fact about me. I love Taco Bell. Um, it's so good. No, it's the, so good. I mean, get, don't get me wrong. I like Del Taco too, but uh, we can debate this after. But Taco Bell definitely has a slight edge to it. So... They don't always feel like eating healthy things. But guess what? The top-tier athletes, the, the ones at the highest level, they say, hey, this is good for me. This is what I should be doing, so I'm going to eat it. 1 Timothy 4.8 says that that's a good thing to some extent. 1 Timothy 4.8 says, for while bodily training is of some value, that saying no to yourself and putting yourself under this physical exercise, hey, that's, that's valuable in some way. But guess what? Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godliness, doing what God would want you to do. Devotion, this loyalty to God. Well, that's a benefit, not just in some way, but in every single way. So even when we're going through difficulties and it's a challenge to obey God, we should see those as a good thing and respond by saying, hey, this is going to help me to obey God even more in the future because I've went through this difficult thing and yet I still was faithful to him. So we need to really take seriously and care about obeying God. How many of us can look in the mirror to ourselves and say, that's someone who cares about obeying God? Like, I care about when I go to school, living and acting how God would want me to. When I hang out with my friends, talking about things that I know God would want me to, that's what I care about when I'm texting other people, using words that, man, I know this is what God will want me to, to, the words to use. Do we care about that? Not only do we do it, but is that like, man, yeah, I have a desire to really obey God. And we always say, obey God, obey God, obey God, obey God. Like, do we even care about that? Can we increase that care and take it seriously, obeying God I think one way that will motivate us to do so is by learning from the example of Jesus. Jesus, even in the face of difficulty, he remained faithful to God, more perfectly than Noah, more perfectly than Abraham, than, than Job. Jesus went through the most difficulty that a single person ever could go through, physically, spiritually, on him. And you think that someone who'd gone through so much difficulty has like some leeway to like make mistake, like, oh, like 
like your parents will maybe give you like a break. It's like, oh, you've had a long day. So like, if you like talk back to them, it's like, oh, I've had a long day. So like, oh, I, yeah, I kind of expected him to be a little snappy back in, in return. It's like, because I had a difficulty, it's like sometimes we give people pass for bad behavior. It's like, well, Jesus went through the most difficulty and guess what? He didn't. First Peter 2 talks about this. First Peter chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles really quickly. It tells us that, hey, remember all that Jesus went through? And yet he didn't do any of this. As they're turning through, let's think through what Jesus went through, what he endured. He was betrayed. One of his disciples, one of his 12 closest guys said, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you over. Oh, I'm going to sell you for, for 30 pieces of silver. Give you over. Betrayed. It's like, whoa, I thought we were friends. Nope. He was arrested unjustly, put on trial, arrested. Well, what wrong had he done? He made up all these false claims, but he never really done anything wrong. He was arrested. He was mocked. He was made fun of. He was spit on. Spit on him. He was abandoned by his disciples. And so what? Oh, one betrays you. What do the other 11 do? Oh, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Oh, I'm going to run away. It's a scary time right now. You got, just got arrested. Are we going to get arrested? I'm out of here. So he's alone. Crown of thorns. Placed on his head. His thorns digging into his skull. The whipped cat of nine tails. Glass and bone ripping flesh out of his skin, exposing the muscles and the tendons and the bones of his back with all the flesh that's ripped off of him, being whipped. Not only that, you've got that flesh ripped off your back. Now here's a cross that you're going to carry to the place that you're going to die, that uneven wood and splintered wood now digging into those open wounds and then what we're going to do is take those, th- those nails, those stakes, and drive them into your, your hands, your wrists, into your feet. It's a difficulty that he went through. Now look at 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for who? For you. Suffered for us. He went through that difficulty for us leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Say, hey, he suffered. Now guess what? You're also going to go through difficulties. But guess what? Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly all the difficulty that Jesus went through, all the suffering, the physical torture that he went through, and not a single time did he sin. He never complained. Think about that. We complain if, like, the thermostat isn't at the specific right temperature, like, small things like that, and, like, we don't have enough ice in our water, but we got too much. It's like, we complain about those things, Jesus was tortured and did not grumble, complain, sin against God. 
or sin against the people that, that were killing him. He didn't. He remained obedient and faithful to God. Can we learn from his example? Man, we can learn so much from, from Jesus. Let's continue on in James 1.12. Why should we remain steadfast? Why should we obey God? It says, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This idea of the, the crown of life, which is speaking of eternal life, but also just the, the riches that come along with eternal life, the heavenly treasures that, that are there as well, that there are rewards on, on the line for people who obey God faithfully, that obviously those who are right with God all get to go to heaven, that eternal life, but guess what? Based off of a believer's obedience, they get a varying amount of rewards. So a misconception that a lot of people have is that when Christians go to heaven, we all have like the same amount of stuff, um, where it's like that's not the case. Believers actually have a different amount of rewards based off of um, the obedience to Christ after they, become, after they become Christians. And so there are a varying level of rewards, and we should seek to like store up heavenly treasures rather than earthly treasures because there are rewards on the line. And that should be a motivation for us to obey God all the more. Point number two, put it this way, be motivated by God's rewards. It should be a motivation to us. Why should I obey God when it's difficult? Well, hey, there's, there's rewards on the line. There's a prize there. That's pretty cool. It's pretty neat that God will give rewards for that. Does anybody get any rewards or incentives for getting good grades? Does anybody? Like m money or like you get to buy something? Like I guess all the Saturday night crew thought this was like ridiculous, but I remember some student, maybe some of you guys get this, like one student that I knew back in school, I never got this, but was like, my parents gave me like 20 bucks for every A that I get at the end of the year. I'm like, what? That's ridiculous. I was like, man, because I was a nerd, I would have racked up so much money. Like, <laughs> um, it's like, man, like, really? A hundred bucks for every A? Or something like, I was like, man, now picture that person, like, did I say a hundred bucks for every A? Sorry, 20 bucks for every A. <laughs> wow, a thousand bucks for every, no, that'd be, man. It's like that person, they're studying, and it's like, man, they want to do well on the test, and they're studying hard and putting in the work, but as they're putting in the work, they're thinking about doing well on the test, but what are they also thinking of? Hey, man, there's, there's some money on the line, and that's a motivator, and that's a, that's a driver to, hey, I, I want to do well on this test. And that's a similar thing when it comes to God-given reward. It should be a motivator for us. It should drive us. It should push, push us for that. It's a good thing. And these rewards for obedience, what I want to make clear is what they're not. Um, by obeying God, the reward isn't, hey, I'm more close to God in a salvific sense. I'm closer to being right with God than not right with God. That's not what we're talking about. What we're really referring to is the heavenly rewards, someone who's after a Christian. So I want to make that clear. But these rewards that God has in store in heaven are greater than we can even think. And I know some of you guys are more like have an analytical mind and approach to it. Where it's like, oh, are, are the God's rewards like really worth it? And I know you have that analytical approach because I saw you guys at Bible bookstore back in, back in the day when you guys went there. Because you'd go to Bible bookstore and you'd have your Bible books and then you'd see something that was like, 
oh man, that's really cool. Oh, how much is it? 500 or a thousand Bible bucks. And you're like, oh man. It's like in your mind, you're doing like a cost benefit analysis where it's like, okay, well, I've got to really give up this much in order to get like this price. So like, is it really even worth it? And that's sometimes how we like to think of like obedience rewards and Probably you do like a similar thing in school. It's like, how much do I have to study to like still get a good grade? It's like, you're doing that cost-benefit analysis. It's like, okay, how much obedience do I have to do to God? Like, are the rewards even worth it? Can I just like scrape by? Like, are the rewards even that great in the end? And you try to compare and think about it. Well, Romans 8 kind of addresses that, hey, that obedience of obeying God even in hard times, you should stop comparing it and say, hey, it's not worth it for the future rewards. Romans 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Saying, hey, this suffering that you're going through, these challenges that you're going through, uh, if you're trying to compare it, like, oh, man, are the great heavenly rewards, are they really that much worth it? Because i got to go through all the suffering here. It's like, of course it is. The greatness of heaven, the amazingness of, that's even a word, of the heavenly rewards. How often do we think about heaven and heaven's rewards? Maybe not too often. We should think about it more so because I think that would drive us to greater obedience. Another reason why we should be motivated by it is because God has promised it to those who love him. It's not like, oh, I might get rewards. It's not. No, God has promised it. It's a guarantee I think that term guarantee, I can't help, but some of you guys, probably most of you guys might not get this. There's this guy, look it up after, a guy named Charles Barkley, who is a sports talk guy, and um, whenever I think a guarantee, he'll make a prediction about like a team, and he'll be like, I guarantee, and he'll like, be like, guarantee, like he always says, I guarantee, um, Look it up after. Charles Barkley guarantee. I might even throw a, a video of it in the flip. Um, every time you'll see guarantee in the future, that's what you're going to think of. You're welcome. Um, and the funny thing is that like all of his guarantees are always wrong. It's like, I guarantee this team is going to win. It's like, and then they lose. Um, and he like even had a button made because of how many times he said like guarantee. And it's like, and it would be like, guarantee. It's like he guaranteed and he was always wrong. Well, guess what? God, never wrong, doesn't lie, doesn't say he's going to do something, and then change his mind, guarantees it. He's promised it. Be motivated by God's words because it's a guarantee, one that is sure. It's going to happen. Well, Nathan, isn't it bad to be pushed by rewards? Shouldn't I just obey God because of, oh, man, that's what I'm supposed to do. Let me illustrate the answer to that this way. What if, go back to that, that example of a person getting 20 bucks for every A that they got. So now, the person got four A's um, on their classes. And so now they come to their parents and they say, hey, I got an A in English, math, science, and history. So now give me 80 bucks. Like, I, I did it. Isn't it great? And your parent, the parents are like, okay, we said we we're going to give it to you. Here's 80 bucks. But actually... Actually, I know that why you really wanted, why you really did well at your classes wasn't because you wanted to do well at them. It's really because you wanted the 80 bucks, so actually we're not going to give it to you. 
be like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it should have just been out of like your desire to get a good grade. It's like, no, that's like why they put that incentive there is so that you'd say, oh man, that's a big incentive. I want to do well to get, do a good, get a good grade. God's put that incentive there. 1 Corinthians 9 kind of talks about that. It says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? It's like a Christian, ra- uh, Christian life is like a race. We're all running. We're all trying to, to do well in this race. But guess what? Only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. So hey, there's a prize in line. Run hard. Do well. Go after that prize. It kind of falls apart because it's not like we're competing against other Christians. It's like, oh, I'm going to make this Christian over here sin so that I can get the prize and he doesn't get it. It's like, no, we're all like running together, but hey, we should run ambitiously for that prize there at the end. So run that you may obtain it. And then it talks about how we can um, exercise self-control and not go after other things, but he puts it right here that they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. They do it to get this gold medal around their necks and this thing that, okay, like it's going to go up on that shelf that I was talking about that, that had like very important things to me. And it's like, then in a few years, it's like, okay, who really cares? It's like, but we Im- imperishable, things that last forever. God's rewards last, should be desirous. But guess what? It's good to be motivated by rewards, but if that's the sole motivation, then I think that's where we're falling short. James 1.12, we've been slowly dissecting different parts of this verse. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, obedient during difficult times. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. There's going to be re- rewards, which God has promised to those who love him. Another reason for our obedience should be our love for God. Oftentimes, we don't obey God because we don't love him as we ought to. We should do what point three says, which is to grow in your love for God. Because if we love God, we're going to obey him. If we rightfully treasure and care about him, we're going to listen to his commands. Really? Are we? That's what 1 John 5, 3 says. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If you love God, this is the love of God. Keep his commandments. Oh, well, I love God, but I don't keep his commandments. I don't think you really love God. I think that's what First, First John would say. And guess what? His commandments aren't burdensome. It's the idea of the tasks given in Scripture aren't like, oh, man, I've got to do it. I have to do my DBR, I have to pray, I have to serve at church. It's like, no, I, I get to, I want to. That's what God wants. I'm excited about that. It's a good thing. If you love God, it's going to lead to the commands of him not being a chore, but rather something that you're excited about, a delight. It's like, imagine, I know this is a little bit of a stretch of an analogy. Don't take it the wrong way, but Imagine there was someone at school that, that you had a crush on, that you liked. Girls, there's, a, there's a, this cute guy in, in second period English class that, oh man, the way he flicks his hair, it's just like, woo, like, <laughs> so cute. Um, guys, there's this girl that, man, got a locker right close to yours, and it's like, man, that, she's cute, like, <laughs> and you got a little crush on, on this person at school. And you kind of like them a little bit. Um, And then that person comes up to you. And you're like, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, am I okay? Uh, and they're like, oh, hey, I, I don't mean to like be a bother or anything, but I'm having trouble with my locker. Can you help me with it? You'd be like, yeah, sure, yeah, I, yeah, I'd lo- love to help you. I guess like in junior high, you, you play like more the, the like, I don't like you card, uh, or it's like, uh, like, no, I don't like you at all, or it's like inwardly, you like really like them. So maybe I'm thinking more like high school ever, where it's like, oh yeah, you want some help? Like, yeah, I'll definitely help you over with that. Or they come up to you, um, you're sitting by them during, during uh, lunchtime, and they say, hey, I don't mean to, to like be a burden to you, but um, can you throw this away for me? Be like, you'd be like, yeah, sure. Like, you want this thrown away? Like, do you need that thrown away too? Like, yeah, I'll throw that away. Like, this way too? Like, yeah, sure, I'll take all of it. Um, like, oh, all your guy friends are like, oh, he's looking kind of sus over it. Like, like what's, going on? what's going on over it? It's like, are those tasks that that person's asking you to do, is that like a burden on you? It's like, in that sense, you're like, no, it's not a burden because you're like, man, I'd more than, yeah, you need help with your homework? Like, let me, like, I'll help you with your, like, uh, whatever you want me to, like, mow, I'll mow your grass, like, uh, ask your parent, like, it's like, like, it's like, okay, calm down, like, it's like, it's not a burden to you because guess what, you, you, you got a crush on them, you kind of like them, and I don't mean to compare your crush to God, like, I guess I kind of did, um, but, like, and I know, a genuine love for God is, is far different than like a, a fickle crush that can change here and there, um, an emotional thing. But there is some, I think, emotion when it comes to a, a love for God. There should be a genuine feeling of, of care and concern. And if we do have that genuine care and concern for God, when he asks us to do things, uh, hey, hey, I don't mean to bother, but can you, can you read my word? Oh, no, not today. Man, do we really love God? Oh, I mean, I don't mean to put another thing on your plate, but but love to hear from you every now and then. Talk to me in prayer. Uh, I'm good. I don't want to do it. It's like if that if that was uh, your crush, oh, hey, would you call me every now and then? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, just tell me when, and yeah, like, yeah. Said, God, uh, don't, cold shoulder, don't want to. How can we grow in our love for God? I think a couple things quickly here at the end. One is remembering often of what Christ did for us. What, what did all that Christ endured for us? We maybe wrote down some of those things that He suffered through. Remember that. Second. Remember God's goodness to you each day. Every single day, don't take for granted what you have, what God has given you. Every breath that you take, the clothing that you have, the food that you eat, the families that you're in, the church that you're able to come to, don't take any, anything for granted. Say, man, God is so good to me. I care about him. I, I love God partner a, a genuine love for God, say, amen, that's really awesome, and I'm thankful that he's got some rewards on the line as well. Hope that, that fuels us to say, I'm going to obey God in the easy times, but also when it's oftentimes more challenging in the difficult times. So let's pray. God, we ask that we would remain obedient to you, that 
even as many of these students face pressure at school from many non-Christians that will push them to try to disobey you or to compromise in some sense, help them not to do that. Um, even when they face challenges to say, well, one thing's going to stay the same and I, I can't control what I'm necessarily going through, but what I can control is how I respond. And God wants me to respond with faithful obedience, with a heart that loves him. So help us all to have that attitude, to have that mindset, even when we do have moments of failure in that, not to let that culminate to continued patterns of sin, but to cut it off and say, no, I need to return to faithful obedience. So help these students this week to be obedient in the totality of their life, but help them even to pinpoint certain areas that they can grow this week. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.